Hello, and welcome to the Told You So podcast. I'm Brink. And I'm Carla. And today we're here with a special guest, Lynn Ulbricht, uh, who's the mother of Ross Ulbricht. Uh, and she's going to be talking a little bit about sentencing reform, criminal justice, and the free Ross movement that's sort of taking off. And we've got an event coming up in New Hampshire. Um, so yeah, Lynn, could you tell us a little bit about uh, why you're here, what you're doing? Yeah, well, it's always great to be in New Hampshire with all my good friends, uh, Liberty people who, and we just had a great discussion. Uh, It's just so stimulating and fun and to be among like-minded people. Um, But I I came up specifically to um, be on a panel at Liberty Forum, which is coming up this next weekend. Mm -hmm. February 1st and 2nd in downtown Manchester. Not in downtown Manchester. (laughs) Where is it again, Carla? Airport Manchester. (laughs) Sorry, Lynn. (laughs) That's fine. That's good. I'm glad you said that. And um, yeah, I'm going to be speaking um, on a panel about criminal justice reform because through my son's case, and I don't know, maybe everybody doesn't know about the case, so maybe I should do a little... Yeah, I think a little background would be good. Yeah. So my son, Ross, um, when he was 26 years old, was a very passionate and idealistic person uh, and was on fire for freedom, basically. He was um, very much involved with the Ron Paul campaign. He brought Dr. Paul to Penn State. He, um, you know, was working hard on that campaign, and he also got very involved with Austrian economics and... um, just libertarian principles, uh, von Mises and all of those writers and philosophers, and he um, got very interested in economics mm-hmm. and became a real proponent for free markets and um, and liberty, and eventually also the the potential for monetary freedom of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. and all those came together, and he wanted to bring people an experience of all that, a direct experience. And so he created a website called Silk Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was essentially an open market that allowed buyers and sellers to choose what they would exchange as long as it didn't hurt a third party because it was firmly rooted in the non-aggression principle or voluntary interaction. And so no force was permitted. And so, for example, there was no child pornography allowed because the child was a third party that was mm-hmm. harmed or stolen property or violent services, none of that. But otherwise, uh, it was between the two people, and consequently, a lot of people exchanged drugs, most commonly user amounts of cannabis. Mm -hmm. And um, basically, Ross put up this platform based on these principles and philosophy, and for this, he received a double life sentence plus 40 years without the possibility of parole. He's a first-time offender totally nonviolent charges, no violence whatsoever. And so I've been fighting ever since his arrest, really, to um, get him out of the situation because Ross is a very good person. And I know I'm his mom, but he really is. There's 100 letters on our website from people who know him who've written the judge begging her to give him the minimum she could. And instead, she turned around and gave him a walking death sentence, the maximum she could. And... Um, so he's a good person. He's a very he's someone who can make a lot of contributions, and um, he's on his seventh year now. And you know what? Ross isn't going to turn. He hasn't even been on the internet in in that long. He's not going to turn around and create another website. He's he would he would <laughs> he's totally rehabilitated if he ever needed to be in the first place. And um, so anyway, I'm working very hard on that. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the overview of the case. And the, I mean, the crime—it's really akin to creating an eBay. Yeah, uh, that's I mean, exactly basically. what it was. It was a lot like eBay. Yeah, 
eBay probably sells more drugs. Facebook does for sure. Yeah. And well, and I, I remember, I mean, back in the old days, which is like the wild west of eBay, uh, there was all kinds of stuff on there. there I remember there was uh, stories about people like selling human organs on eBay and all, all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, and uh, incredibly, none of those people were saddled with a double life sentence, which is just a, I mean, it, it's an immense sentence for two centuries for two a, century a crime sentence. where nobody was hurt i mean and, and when you think about that you, you'd murder somebody and you'll be out of jail oh, in seven years by far i mean faster yeah if you're a terrorist you get out sooner el chapo yeah. got half the sentence ross did yeah wow and he orchestrated basically <laughs> with with some help from the dea perhaps um <laughs> the united states drug market for many many years no it, it's uh it's so stunning in the level of injustice that it's almost hard to believe it, it is <sighs> Yeah. yeah. So it has to be corrected. Yeah. And the person at this point in things who could correct it is the president of the United States. And so we're working very hard to get his attention and to convince him that this would be the right thing to do, the just thing to do, and even the politically advantageous thing to do. Because we've got, over the years, we have gained tremendous support. Mm. Our uh, online petition which please, if you haven't, please sign it. It's a freeross.org slash petition or just on the front homepage of our website. There's a red banner. We have over a quarter of a million signatures. Um, uh, now, uh, Free Ross supporters are basically attending President Trump's rallies around the country mm-hmm. uh, to hold up signs and get his attention saying, hey, here's, a, here's an issue you need to pay attention to. And uh, actually, there's one, Trump is coming to Manchester mm-hmm. on February 10th, and Free Raw supporters will be out there. Please join them. Uh, and there's information on um, Facebook. Uh, but anyway, it's February 10th. We're going to meet at the Americans for Prosperity building and uh, go on over there together. And um, yeah, just to, we want to get President Trump's attention and say, look, this is a terrible precedent to set, and um, it needs to be changed. We need to have mercy in this country and give people a second chance. This is this is ridiculous. He was 26. He was meant well. Mm-hmm. There was no physical harm. He's never been uh, right. accused of any physical harm at all. No victims were named at trial. And this judge gave him this unbelievable draconian and, sentence. And, yeah. you know, if you just looked objectively to the, the storyline, you would wonder why would there be this incredible overreaction. But when you actually understand that the war on drugs is extremely lucrative for a lot of people and that cryptocurrency, of course, is a threat to sort of the monetary policies that are also controlled by state interests and the Federal Reserve, then it seems like it's this perfect storm, right, where someone was actually, and we're big proponents on this show about thinking about how do you, you know, you don't have to go through someone, you can just create a better alternative and then attract people to that, right? So attract people to an idea. And so it truly was this notion of creating a Silk Road, which of course historically was the free trade from, you know, east to west. And to create this place where people could safely trade, because we all know the war on drugs is also extremely dangerous. Yeah. And if you know you can eliminate some of those risks 
to both the buyer and the seller that seems like an improvement on what we currently have so in the long term i always looked at silk road as a harm reduction program mm -hmm. right it was a way to actually try and reduce the harm of the war on drugs by making a private transaction between two willing partners as trade should be and you know i i think the powers that be really truly saw the threat of this more peaceful solution that was taking you know the money out of the criminal enterprise and into the open in a new way and that's why you know he he really got the book thrown at yeah. him and i'm sure there's an element too of uh you know you frequently hear law enforcement people say uh we're lucky because criminals are usually pretty stupid <laughs> and this is a case of a very intelligent person uh putting his considerable intellect towards something that shouldn't be a crime uh but is treated as a crime and i can only imagine that uh they were a little freaked out that they were like oh my gosh we have an actual thinking human being who's running the show. We got to put a stop to this. Um, no, but it, it's it's really hard to uh, to wrap your head around a, a double life sentence. I mean, yeah, it's... I mean, and and I mean, I think it's the <sighs> U, UN. Um, I think it was the UN who came out and said that a you know a life sentence without the chance of parole actually violates human rights, which makes total sense because it's a death sentence in it a is. cage. Yeah. It totally is. Um, you know, and, and I have over the years said, because uh, I always draw a parallel, I think, for me personally, and it's based on my personal history between sort of Ross and someone like Nelson Mandela, because, you know, I view Ross as a political prisoner. Like, I think he was put in jail, and we know in his trial that he was told he wasn't allowed to offer as his defense his philosophy, like why he did it, the yeah. harm reduction story, was never allowed to come out. And so um, I, I think because I worked on uh, Mandela's stuff back in the late 80s, early 90s, and it was this idea of people understanding this is a draconian sentence. He was, he was also sentenced to life in prison. Um, you know, it, it, the the punishment doesn't fit the crime, and so it goes back to that idea of mercy, right? It's like, okay, he's he's been in jail. Ross has been in jail for seven years now, for like, what's the crime? Well, look, you, you've got both said some things. I just want to say, um, his, first of all, his motive was actually not harm reduction. I think it did bring harm reduction because it, it was basically product agnostic. It was about a free market and drug if drugs weren't on there, that it was one about wasn't about drugs. There were lots of things on there. It was like eBay, electronics and clothing and art and all kinds of things, but there were drugs. Um, I uh, do believe that you're correct that it was the Bitcoin and this financial new financial system that was very threatening. And at first I thought, oh, well, I guess it's a drug case. But once I saw the sentences of the other defendants in the case, I'm like, no, this is a political thing. Yeah. And because the biggest drug seller on Silk Road who was convicted for that has the same offense level as Ross, got 10 years. What? Yeah. Wow. 10 years. And Ross got double life plus 40 for the same offense level in the prison system. So there's something very, very wrong and corrupt here. Uh, but it was, you know, an idea is much more dangerous than drug dealer. Right. Drug right. dealers. And um, Ross was never accused of actually selling drugs himself, just of having this platform where some people did that. Right. They, there were lots of things being sold there. Um, 
there were some other points, but I can't remember. But uh. <laughs> well, that's bizarre. It reminds me of uh, I know there's some other. And it's just amazing how the war on drugs shredded the Constitution. I mean, Absolutely. that's it's sort of the... We've been talking about that, actually, uh, lately. Uh, it's no, it's the no, primary constant. driver. I mean, and and all of the, the drug war exception to the Fourth Amendment, the that's idea right. of a no-knock search, the idea that a dog alerting that's trained to alert when the handler feels stressed uh, would, would legitimate a search of your vehicle or your person. And it's like, could I cross-examine um, the canine, please? Yeah. Well, and, and right. Aren't no, you you're supposed to be to. able to like face your accuser? Well, and they, I, if I remember correctly, there was uh, one double-blind study done with uh, these drug-sniffing dogs, and they found that the number one thing they respond to is the emotional state of their handler. Um, oh. They don't find drugs. They find where their handler thinks drugs are. Um, which they're a probable cause generating machine. I, I mean, I literally one time saw I was I was arrested in the back of a car, sitting on my arms behind my back, watching them do a drug search on mm-hmm. the vehicle, and I watched the police officer tap where like the dog was with him, and he would tap, and the dog would sit down. And it was so ridiculous what I was watching. I was like, oh, that, that's not the alert, right? They're like right. setting something up or something. And then when we read the police report, it was like, oh, they claimed that the dog alerted at those. Uh, and there were no drugs in that car. I right. mean, it was just the whole thing was a farce. But. Well, and I, what, we, what you're saying about like setting up a marketplace, it reminds me a little bit of uh, there's a number of laws around. Um, I forget the exact term, but it's like a, a, a drug establishment or something like that where basically if there's a venue where uh, things happen over time they can charge the owner of the venue for you know negligence in allowing drug use on their property uh, and the example of it there was some um, music festival I think it was in Missouri uh, and the DEA did like a five-year investigation of this music festival of course they sold drugs to lots of people because that's part of what they do um, you know because you have to break the law to save it somehow I don't I, I don't oh, really understand DEA that agents yeah yeah selling, of right course, well, controlled yes. buys you got to make sure that you find all the criminals um, but and then at the, the culmination of it was the fifth year of this investigation. They came in with SWAT teams, <laughs> arrested a bunch of people, seized the property, all this stuff. And the owners of the property were like, "We we not, we're not selling drugs. We we just own this farm and we let them have a concert here." Um, so there's a lot of ways where the law treats people that enable people to engage mm-hmm. in you know self part of the conspiracy, and they use <sighs> conspiracy law. Right, to Rico, widen yeah. that umbrella, well, it wasn't Rico, but it was, th- to widen the criminal umbrella for all of us. Mm-hmm. You can be in a conspiracy very easily. And, um, yeah. yeah. So th- that was one of the arguments, actually, that Ross's lawyer made. It's like a landlord mm-hmm. where somebody else is doing something. But, but, you know, it came up before Congress. The Facebook, has they were started keeping track of drug sales on there. And in six months, Facebook sold 100 times more drugs than Silk Road did in its whole existence. Wow. So I'm like, yeah. is Mark Zuckerberg coming on into court? Right. right. No. Right. When does that happen? Is he getting yeah. his orange jumpsuit? Yeah, you and know? I don't want him to, no, obviously. Of but, you know, come on. The, big, the guy who was running Silk Road 2, which was a larger copycat site, and sold more drugs in a month, according to the government. Mm-hmm. Never did jail time at all. He's a free man. He has to pay two years back taxes. I'm like, really? Oh, I'm so sorry. My son's in a cage. He's condemned to die in that cage unless President Trump commutes his sentence or, or someone. Did this other and guy, like, turn state's evidence? Or I what don't it, know the story. Okay. All I know is he got arrested. It was a whole big brouhaha. And the government's like, oh, identical site. And then he disappeared. Hmm. And then just lately it's come out. I don't know the backstory. story. Um, he may have had some dirt on somebody. I have no idea. 
Well, that's the other thing is that it's all this, it's this endless uh, search for the next big score on the part of the drug enforcement people. Right, um, it's part of their career. Yeah, so they, and I'm sure that, you know, as a principled person, I'm sure that Ross saying, like, I don't have anyone to give you. I just created a marketplace. Right. That must have infuriated them, you know? I mean, to, to hear that I, I'm just a principled human being engaged in what I thought was uh, positive economic activity, uh, and I'm not going to you know, hand over some, some next level to you. Uh, that must be pretty infuriating for those people. They're very used to uh, being able to really uh, exploit people that are in, in dire situations of, of the creation of drug enforcement agencies. Well, that's what they do. I mean, that's why 98% of people plea because, and I've heard it over and over from people firsthand, that prosecutors will threaten them. They'll threaten their families. Mm-hmm. They'll, um, you know, they're, they're forced to plea even to things they haven't done because they don't want to go to trial. They just want the notch in their belt. And then if you do go to trial, it's so stacked against you. And then if you lose, which you probably will, um, you will um, get a much worse and harsher penalty than if you pled. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's a horrible system. We've lost our fair trials in this country. Done. It's yeah. done. You do not get fair trials. And this is a bastion of our justice system, supposedly. Yeah. But as you said before... The drug war is eroding very quickly our rights so that if it's a drug thing, it's the drug exception, out goes the Bill of Rights and all of that. And so it's a very convenient way to expand government power. And, of course, they make tons of money. And to grow the militarized police. It's an industry. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Same thing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. It's a huge industry. I mean. Very, uh, you know, entrenched. Yeah. Well, and also it's. And it doesn't stop people from using drugs. No. So it's (laughs) like, okay. Well, we hear that with the current discussion of, uh, for example, they're talking about cannabis legalization up at the state house now, and uh, you know, people act as though nobody is smoking cannabis, <laughs> and and if we legalize it, then people will start. But it's like, no, there, there's probably Millions. like yeah, tens of thousands of people in New Hampshire, okay, yeah, yeah, hundreds but... of thousands, thousands of people in New Hampshire, who are already doing this and acting like uh, the status quo of prohibition has solved anything. It, it's like, you know, putting well, your hands over your eyes and going, makes la, people, la, la, la. But it <laughs> makes also, people criminals. Yeah. That's what prohibition did with yeah. alcohol, and that's what it's doing now. Yeah, and I mean, I laugh at when, you know, you listen to them testify on these bills, and they say, the sky is going to fall. The sky is going to fall, which is what we heard for years and years. My favorite, I'm and sorry then, to interrupt, but the chief, chief crate said that if uh, medical cannabis came to New Hampshire, there would uh, be an, a wave of devastation would be unleashed across the state. And it's like, what? what? Wow, right. Of course, he doesn't have that job anymore because you can look it up. Oh. <laughs> 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 I forget what the backstory is. I might have to ask you. But basically where they say the sky is going to fall, right? And then, of course, the sky does not fall. But no one comes back and goes, oops, right? right. I mean, you know, we were up at the state house this week, and it was like, they didn't even bother to actually come test. There's no admission of, of the fact that everything that they've said has not come to pass. Right. You know, and, and if you have one group of people who are only selling you crises, epidemics, disasters, failed policy, why would you keep handing these people your money? <laughs> now, I mean, I will say, I so we had a, a meeting of some activists to talk about, you know, uh, cannabis policy stuff. And um, I, I, I came up with this kind of maybe stupid metaphor, but I'm trying to, you know, I always try to be charitable and think like the people that disagree with me because everyone's a human being and they all think they're doing the right thing. 
I mean, maybe some don't. Maybe some people are legit villains and they, you know, revel in doing the wrong thing. But most people think that they're doing the right thing. And for police, I mean, there is an element of it's been like a hundred and – 110 years of, of uh, drug prohibition. So when you tell them that this policy is wrong, it's kind of like telling a firefighter that the way to put out fires is like, leave them alone. You know? And they're like, what? No, but all I do is put out fires. That's my, my essence. That's my, my uh, identity is I put these fires out. So I can get. The thing get... is with a fire, it actually does get put out. Right. <laughs> In this case, it's been 110 years of action without the result that's desired. Um, or they or claim the, it's desired. I, yeah, they right. even the government can figure that out that it doesn't work. It's money and power yeah. done. No, and the, it's all the wrong incentives for the people involved in it. Um, and again, because the you get rewarded for arrests, not for how many people you know fix their lives. But bring which that's here what you're in New Hampshire, they don't arrest people for pot anymore. <laughs> Isn't that true? Because that's certainly what they went up at the state house and told the legislature. Yeah, not unless you're the target of the granite hammer, and you're one of the many people that's like <laughs> granite hammer is this grant program uh, from the Department of Justice. There's a big grant to do drug interdiction. And it's supposed to be all about heroin and fentanyl. And then you look through the arrest records, and it's like 30, 40% marijuana. And <laughs> I would say it's, it's like even Silk more Road than was that. most commonly sold um, loser amounts of, of marijuana. Yeah. Right. But they, you'd hardly ever hear it mentioned, even at trial. I think it was mentioned once in passing. Yeah. Now, uh, so, and I, I'm, I'm not trying to be like controversial here. I remember That's there was okay. one element of the case where I, I think it's been kind of roundly debunked, but one big thing that drew a lot of headlines was this. Uh, Ross put out a hit on someone. Yeah. So Good. could you? I'm glad you brought that yeah, up. could you tell me a little bit? Like, what was that all about? And apparently, from what I've heard since, and to even talk to people who it's happened with, uh, this is one of their tactics to smear people without having to prove anything. And in fact, Alice Johnson, wh- whom uh, President Trump commuted her sentence, she also was smeared with that and mm. others. Um, okay, so what happened was right before tri- uh, bail hearing, they brought this up out of the blue. We had no idea it was coming to deny him bail. No proof. And then t- two months later, when they went to indict him, it wasn't there. The charge wasn't there. We're hmm. like, and of course, sin- but in between, the media went crazy with it, of course. So then it wasn't charged at trial. Not- it wasn't brought before a jury. Mm-hmm. Of course, Ross denied it. It was part of an indictment in Maryland that was based on material supplied by corrupt agents, which is a whole other story that there are two corrupt agents now in prison who were all an integral part of this case and were not allowed to be known to the jury. But anyway, um, they supplied this chat that supposedly they claim was Ross. There was no witness that it was Ross. Even the victim, supposed victim of this murder for hire, is on our side and has come out publicly for Ross. Hmm. But he doesn't believe it was Ross and all that. But anyway... Uh, in any case, um, <clears throat> it was never charged at trial. The indictment in Maryland was uh, dismissed with prejudice. It's gone. They it, they got their use out of it because right. the judge used it to um, justify her draconian sentence. And the other thing I wanted to bring up about the sentencing, that was something Carla just brought up about. Okay, the reason Ross, Ross is a libertarian, his libertarian views were not permitted to be known to the jury. That was denied. But the judge knew it was a philosophical site. So she said at sentencing, we know you started this site for philosophical reasons, which is essentially voluntary interaction, uh, freedom, free market. Mm-hmm. We know you started it for those reasons, but we're not sure that's a philosophy you've left behind. So that means, basically, I need to have you die in a cage because you have this troubling and dangerous philosophy of freedom, essentially. And this is a First Amendment problem 
that now we can be put in a cage for our philosophy. Yeah. And she said it. So in, in any case, <clears throat> that is, you know, that, I forget now I've gone off a whole tangent. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, I get so upset. But, um, <laughs> well, so um, with the murder, no, the murder for hire. Yeah. Right, right. So it was dropped. Yeah. But she she used it to enhance her sentence, which was unconstitutional. So that was brought to the Supreme Court because that's a violation of the Sixth Amendment, which says you have to be tried by a jury of your peers. Yeah. It was written to protect the accused from um, rogue judges mm-hmm. saying, no, I don't care what a jury said or didn't say. I know best, and I say you're guilty. Also, that I mean, is unconstitutional. How- she did it, and the Supreme Court didn't care, and um, which, yeah, and they didn't take it. And um, so... <laughs> But how, it's playing out have... a violation of the Constitution, another example of our rights being shredded, that a federal judge would use that to put someone away for life. Yeah, and how could you – I'm, I'm baffled how she could even include that if it was dropped from the, from the charges. How can you say, oh, and it you know, that, that crime that you're, you, we didn't prove, also we're going to punish you for that. the crime that was never charged, charged and the jury never ruled on. Yeah, right. No, that's what I'm even, saying. It, it wasn't even that it was never proven. It, well, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, wasn't even proven. brought to court. It no. was, yeah, yeah. Yes. right. Correct. Just in the other indictment, Ugh. which she had nothing to do with, it was dropped. But yeah. as far as the trial, no, it was not. One. And so people go, oh, you know, they bring it up even now. And I'm like, so why don't you look at what he was he's sentenced for and right. you'd show me the violence because there is no violence in there. Yeah, I mean, that's the most common glib dismissal of this whole thing I that know. I've ever heard. And it's really uh, sad that people are willing to. Well, it's frustrating. Sort of They're just shallow and lazy and they say, oh, I, re- I heard that, so it's true. And it gets really annoying because I'm constantly battling that. And then they've now changed it from murder for hire to murder. I'm like, who was murdered? <laughs> Just tell me who was murdered. I'd like to know. Habeas corpus, here. buddy. Right. <laughs> Where is it? You know, it's, it's the stupid people on the that internet. Ball, right? <laughs> That would be, oh man, sorry, I just, that would be like a hilarious Supreme Court habeas corpus calendar, and they're all showing you the body. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, there's so many ill-informed and actually really stupid people on the internet, I'm like, kind of like, really? And 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 you're going to the trouble of writing this down and posting it? Now, this might sound crazy. I'm, so I've become uh, sort of hyper-skeptical of strangers on the internet, uh, yeah. Not because I'm down the road of like, oh, there's Russian bots everywhere, but partially because I'm down the road of there are Russian bots <laughs> everywhere, and they're not necessarily robots. But I, I've been convinced, I've become trolls, convinced yeah. that yeah, trolls and people. I mean, you know, there's people that do that because they get emotional satisfaction out of it. But I, and this might be tinfoil hatty, I would be surprised if there are not people at law enforcement agencies, intelligence agencies, etc out there, you know, uh, spreading the message, yeah. yeah, spreading their messaging. And I mean, even is. in Burlington, Vermont, two weeks ago, this was so funny, actually, there was this case. Uh, so the police chief had to resign because he was posting on Vermont Digger, which is this local news site, he was yeah. posting under a fake name, and leaving all these angry comments and stuff. So he had to resign. Oh, and then wow. they appoint a new chief. <laughs> And then the new chief has to resign because she was doing the same thing. Oh, <laughs> and it's, wow. it's like this whole department was running fake social media accounts. So if they're doing it in Burlington, Vermont, I can guarantee they're doing it in Washington, D.C. Oh, you know, they're I, doing it all over. And, I mean, we know. I mean, it's from the level of, of academia down, right? Yeah. The paid CIA assets or journalists and all of that. 
And now, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, you know, our local PD. Well, that's even more clear when it's like they have, you know, hey, I, I just retired from the CIA and now I'm a defense commentator yeah, on Fox right. News. Yeah. Uh, I definitely don't have any motivated <laughs> but, reasoning. But <laughs> like, I am unbiased yeah. as all get out, folks. Uh, <laughs> it, it's just wild. Information control. That's yeah. what the whole thing's about. Which, which to me, you know, I, I'm going to bring it to the optimism, guys. Yeah. I mean, to me, that <laughs> is a sign that the message and the truth can resonate and will resonate, right? Because they have to fight so dirty to keep suppressing, you know, th this little fire that, you know, yeah. humans have. And so, you know, it, it feels like a huge slog so much of the time, but... I think we're winning, you know, when the chief of police has to do their own minister of propaganda <laughs> on their local site. You know, well, at the end late. of the day, it's so petty, too. I mean, because we're these are not matters of life and death. These are usually it's matters of like, I want to keep my power, you know, and uh, and that's just kind of pathetic and sad. I, it's so petty tyranty, yeah. you yeah. know, it's just really sad. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But it's also very threatening. It's right. kind of like the media is like Pravda. In Russia, mm -hmm. I mean, they're just an arm of the government, and they don't want to lose access. And they'll—they were just very happy to um, obediently spread out the whole murder for hire, and you know, and then they didn't charge him for it. Yep, and and, and you know, and go look for terms like unnamed sources <laughs> or an anonymous uh, government official said. You know, the more of those you see, the less you should go to war or imprison humans. Yes, yeah. absolutely. You know, so. Yeah. No, I mean, it, uh, so I think also, <laughs> well, on, on this topic too, to be optimistic about the fact that even though there are all these uh, ongoing forces trying to encroach on our liberty, uh, we do live in a place that at least theoretically has a commitment to liberty. And culturally, I think people feel as though they're having something taken away when it's violated. Um, and that's so far superior to living somewhere where people don't have the expectation of human freedom. Um, and really, I mean, with all these issues, you can see sort of the, the culmination of that mindset. If you look right now at China and their surveillance state, um, I mean, that's what you get when you give people unlimited power is you get unlimited micromanagement of people's lives and unlimited violation of their liberty. Um, and that's why I find these uh, sort of media narrative shaping outreach efforts that law enforcement ag agencies can engage in so, so threatening and upsetting is because it really is totalitarian. It's trying to control what you know. Um, and there's something deeply disturbing about that. I mean, that's why I even started caring about politics in the first place was being a, a crazy teenager that read 1984 and Brave New World and said, I've got these four cubic inches in my skull and they're mine and you can't mess with it, whether you're a person or a government or whatever, and it's mine. Um, and everybody has you know, that, that right to their personal freedom inside their own mind. So anyway, any attempts to, to shape narrative like that, I, I find very disturbing, especially when they're done in that backhanded way, that sneaky, you know, unjust way. Yeah, and, and just straight up lying. It's like yeah. if, if their world is so great. I mean, I spent last week at the State House. For our regular listeners, you'll know I was on a fast, and you know, <laughs> things were possibly getting crazy fast. Um, <laughs> but I went and I testified on all these different bills, and it, I was struck because I'm an open government advocate as well. I was struck by how closely they want to keep things secret now, right? So the, the thing that's become topsy-turvy is the government expects more and more information about us 
while claiming more and more privacies for themselves, right? They're making everything for themselves secret, yeah. and we aren't allowed to have any secrets. And so there was a situation where we were talking about sealing minutes, and if there were sealed minutes that people could, they would have to vote every year to keep the minutes sealed. And the guy used this example where he was like, so if my daughter was molested and there was a non-public meeting in which the sealed minutes talked about her molestation and the reprimand we gave the teacher. And I went, surely you mean you fired the teacher in this <laughs> secret meeting that, you know, it just yeah. really made the point for myself where I was like, how can they not see the more you make these things secret, the more evil stuff you're gonna get i know a yeah. better word but like the more darkness what's it like the more light you shine the better it is yeah. and the more dark it is and so we just you know i think what lynn is doing is incredibly courageous because you're continuing to shine the light yeah. on ross's story and our job everyone who hears this podcast your job is go look at railroaded railroad right that's up yeah. on the website yeah there's a we we took the public record. We couldn't get to um, the sealed evidence, the encrypted evidence, and the undisclosed evidence, speaking of shining a light, Gosh. because it's not available. Why not? I thought the case was over. What are you hiding? But um, we could get the public record, and we created something called Railroaded, and it's been condensed into a, a video called um, The Untold Story. And they're both on our website, but um, railroad, and you can read it too. It's heavily footnoted. And that's freeross.org. At free, yeah, thank you. <laughs> freeross.org. There's also a petition asking the president to commute Ross's sentence at freeross.org. Uh, a big red banner. It has over a quarter of a million signatures now. Um, please sign it and share it. All you have to know is that a first time nonviolent young offender. Um, got double life plus 40 years without the possibility of parole. Nonviolent, first-time offender. And um, this should not happen in our country. This sets a terrible precedent, horrible precedent for excessive sentencing, which is a big problem anyway. And please sign the petition and share it. But yes, the, you can dive into Railroad. Actually, someone just told me today that they'd read it and watched it, because you can do both. And they, he just said, I, I just, every time I get into this, I get so angry because of what happened. But we felt like we had to make the case more palatable for people to understand because it's super complicated. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's how we did it. And it's actually pretty entertaining. It's quite riveting, actually, because you'll see how our, our criminal um, investigators work, how they compete with each other to get the trophy, to, you know, and there's how much corruption is in there. And kind of riveting really it should be a show or something it would definitely but, make yeah. a great yeah. show well lynn thank you so much for everything that you're doing and oh, for coming to speak with us me. today yeah i no, really appreciate it and uh thank you for being our first guest yeah, yeah. Honor. Told you so. and apologies <laughs> to our listeners for my excessive uh exasperated sighing during this episode <laughs> but this is a pretty uh frustrating and incomprehensible issue um and so i uh, please uh take the advice that we've given go to freeross.org check this stuff out um, and do what you can uh, if you care about justice to make this right. Come to the rally, Rally for Ross on February 10th. Yeah. Meet at the Americans for Prosperity building. Yeah. And we'll look forward to seeing you speak at Liberty Forum on... February 1st and 2nd. Lynn will be speaking at in the afternoon on February 2nd, 3 o'clock panel discussion. You can still buy tickets. At the airport hotel? Yes. Next uh, to the airport diner? Well, just go to nhlibertyforum.com <laughs> for all the 
details <laughs> and to buy your tickets. We'd love to see you next weekend. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks to you. Uh, thanks so much to everybody for listening. And uh, again, please check out those sites that we uh, we mentioned earlier. And we'll put them in the show notes. Yeah, and we'll talk to you again soon. Peace out. Bye.